Sorry. <laughs> Glad you made it. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, why do you have to update every time I use you, Zoom? Like, That's a good question. <laughs> um, so how are you doing during this pandemic? Uh, God, I am, I am so ready for the world to just get back to normal. But honestly, it's been kind of nice to have an excuse to just stay home and like ride my horses. That's all I do. Really? Yeah. Is your um, horses in Birmingham or somewhere else? They're like trustful area, like 25 minutes from my house, which is in Birmingham. So like Birmingham-ish, I guess. Understandable. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Um, oh, um, let me see. If anybody want to get a book, Rerouting by my friend Duncan Kirkwood, just doing a little promotion real quick. <laughs> um, let's get to it. Um, the interview. Um, so what did you major in, by the way? So I majored in sociology and I have a minor in of all things creative writing and physics. <laughs> physics, really? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, cool. Um Feel free to say skip, by the way, if you want to. Like, you don't want yeah. to answer a question? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. All right. So, first of all, what do you think about kids going back to school right now during the pandemic? Since that's like a big thing right now. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, God, it's so, so, <laughs> first of all, like, I, under, I definitely understand like people saying like, well, you know, kids who don't get as sick and like they don't, you know, they don't seem to be as affected by it, but like kids can definitely carry it and their parents can get sick and like no kid wants to end up being a carrier and their parent getting sick and dying. I just, I don't know that going back to actual school is the answer right now. I think that the precautions that you have to take limit the ability for children to be children. I, I so disagree with the way we do school anyway. And I think that like, this just further implements ideals and restrictions on children that prevent kids from being able to learn well. Asking kids to sit in a single classroom for eight hours a day, six feet apart, with a mask on their face, 
is is just ludicrous and it's the only safe way to do it and i think safe is a loose term in that situation i think that the only way to like appropriately teach children in this pandemic is outside and uh virtually or even just say one semester off is not going to kill a generation of kids like we can <laughs> pick back up another time and i i know that that's like a really controversial idea I know that's a really privileged idea. I know that it's so much more nuanced than just like kids getting an education. It has so much more to do with like, what do we do with parents who need for their kids to be in school so that they can work and they can make money to feed their kids. And like, you know, what are we supposed to do with like, you know, kids whose parents are like depending on school for really childcare, even more than education and food more than childcare and and all of that and i think you know the big answer to that whole question is like our government is failing us and we've done this wrong from the get and the question shouldn't be should kids be going back to school right now the question should be like how can we support adults who should be supporting these children uh, okay that was a great answer actually <laughs> <laughs> um, very passionate about it <laughs> yeah i kind of like I feel a certain way because like some certain teachers, like I know they have precondition, you know, the conditions. Um, so it's like, right. I don't know. It's sort of like, I'm like, I'm sort of like somewhat scared for them. Right. The teachers. So, right. Mm, I guess we'll see what happened though. You know, Yeah. So. what do you do if like, what you like, what, what happens when a child's parent works at, I, I mean, at an office and then is exposed to COVID-19, that child is exposed to COVID-19, and then that whole classroom is exposed, what does that teacher do? Does that teacher then have to not come into school? Is that teacher then, like, do all those kids not come into school? Like, I mean, it's so, like, how do we keep each other safe? And that's, I mean, there you can't. There's no way to distance from that. And, and I think that we ask our teachers to give up so much autonomy and safety. And this is just like, like we're asking them to martyr themselves for the sake of the economy. And like, what a terrible, horrible thing to do when the real answer and the correct answer is just like staring us in the face and we just refuse to do it. Um, and it just breaks my heart for my teacher friends and for my friends with children who have full-time jobs who need school to open up. And I just, there is, I mean, it's just like heartbreaking. I agree. I agree. Um, and you did go to UAB, right? Mm-hmm. Go Blazers. <laughs> um, did you go to any other college or was that the only one that you attended? I only attended UAB. I got into a lot of other colleges. Uh, shout out to UC San Diego, who did not admit me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I, I wanted to stay home. I wanted to stay in Birmingham, and I did. But I got into some other colleges, and I just, honestly, I just, I wasn't ready to leave the nest, if I'm being totally honest. And I don't regret the decision. I really loved UAB. I really loved staying in Birmingham and watching it grow. Okay. And you're, um, you grew up in Birmingham, Alabama? I did. I did. I, I'm not from here, but I claim it as home. I'm from Washington, D.C. So I went to international school there, spoke Spanish at school, French at school. 
came here and was like total culture shock. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what do you mean? You guys speak English at school and not just at home. Like, you guys are okay? <laughs> um, but uh, I, yeah, I grew up here. Uh, is there like a big, is there like a big difference between Birmingham and Washington? Um, culture and different things there? I mean, yes and no. Like, inner city Birmingham, not really in the sense that, like, UAB brings in so many cultures and so much diversity that, like, if you choose to surround yourself with that, you can do that. And DC is the same. Like, there's so much diversity and so much, like, so many different types of people that you just have to be exposed to people who aren't like yourself. And so Birmingham can be a little like that. But for the most part, Birmingham is very, like, insulated and um you know you set one foot outside of the city limits of Birmingham and you're like <laughs> you're in the deep south and um DC is not that way you go into Virginia parts of Virginia and there you're still surrounded by diversity and you're still surrounded by forward-thinking people and people who want to like expand themselves and learn and be challenged and that is not, in my opinion, that is not the prevalent feeling of the people in Birmingham or in Alabama, I guess. Okay, okay. Now I know I met you. Um, it was a software boot camp. Um, <laughs> uh, Innovation Depot, Innovation Depot. Um, so, do you think you learned a lot there when you was uh, as far as technology goes? I mean, or I think. My opinion of Innovation Depot is that they did the best they could and that they offer you the tools to do the best you can if you choose to take them. Um, I love the people that I met there. Uh, I love the opportunities it gave me for sure. Um, I wish that it followed more traditional boot camp like dynamics maybe or like that's not the right word but so worth it is coming to me. Um, I wish that it had been led differently. Um, I think that I was at a disadvantage in the sense that I had multiple friends and family members who'd been through boot camps in other cities. And so I was like, this is not how this is supposed to go. Like, I know where I should be at this point in a boot camp. And like, um, but I am very grateful for the opportunities it gave me, like incredibly grateful. I mean, that's really what it excelled at was giving us opportunities and giving us contacts and um, letting us meet people. Mm-hmm. But I did another boot camp when I left. So. Oh, you did? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. What boot camp did you do, if you don't mind me asking? My job uh, put me through Flatirons JavaScript stuff. So. Okay. And, yeah. Okay. That was awesome. Really? Yeah. So good. Was it pretty like, was it strict or how was like the, the way that they taught it? Um, I didn't do the like true boot camp. I did kind of like, they, they let you do like a free version of it. And that's what I did. And it was strict in the sense that like I held myself to the standard of it being strict, but it was very like self-driven. Um, the quality of learning was incredible. Um, the teachers and the acts, like the people that you're able to like talk to were just so good and so knowledgeable. Um, cannot say enough good things about Flatiron. I, 
highly suggest it if that's like if you want to get into software and you want to be able to do it while you keep a full-time job flat iron is absolutely 100 the way to go the investment is so worth it um how much do they like charge like if you're not going through a company if you or do you know no idea <laughs> <laughs> okay gotcha so how did you end up in technology by the way so my family is a tech family they're medical and tech and um my dad has started a couple tech companies and was always like you would be really good at this like you're stem inclined you're very smart and i was always like i want to ride horses um and so i never took it seriously and my brother uh is a comedian and eventually one day was like i gotta get a real job and he went through boot camp and just really fell in love and i was like when I, I, when I got out of college, I went into counseling and I got a certification to, count, to do counseling and I started a program with the state and I hated it. And <laughs> I was like, I got to do something different. So I moved to California and worked at a summer camp and my brother came up to visit me and was doing a, a weekend like a convention for Gopher, which is a language, like a coding language called GopherCon. It's a like GoCon, I don't remember. It's like Go, I think is the name of the language. I don't know. And like, it's called GopherCon. I'm messing this up, but it's called GopherCon. <laughs> I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and I went with my brother and I just like loved the people he was around. And I was like, oh dang, like maybe this is what I should do. Like maybe everybody in my life is right and I should stop being so stubborn. So I like played around with JavaScript a little bit, played a couple like apps, like, like games on my phone about it talked to my brother a little bit. My brother was like, yeah, you should do it. And just moved back home from San Diego and signed up for the boot camp and made the decision that I was going to make it work for a few years at least so I could get paid better than I'd been paid in my previous job. And here we are. And I really love it. I'm really grateful I did it. Do you miss San Diego, by the way? Oh. <laughs> It is California, so I understand. <laughs> yeah. I miss feeling safe. Um, I miss feeling like I'm not having to hide a piece of who I am and that people don't just hate me on principle for who I am and who I love. Um, I miss the weather <laughs> all the time. I mean, the weather's like incredible. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't miss the food. The food was so bad. Uh, now, that's not true. The the food, like the Mexican food and the like Latinx food was incredible. I mean, that's all I ate when I was there because I was like, well, this is real food. Y'all use like butter and like fat and like spice. <laughs> you guys actually like care about what you're eating. Um, this is not some like health food. Like, <laughs> if I eat one more smoothie, I'm going to die. Um, but that, I mean, that was amazing. That was so good. Like, they really, I mean, it was so Wait, cool. Learn not, a culture. Huh? Oh, my bad. <laughs> no. Um, no, are, you're not vegan? I'm vegetarian. Oh, you are vegetarian. Okay. Yeah, but uh, in general, like, South American and Central American, like, Latin food tends to be, like, really, like, vegetarian friendly. Unlike Southern food, but <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. It's just like that, that, that aspect of the food was like so good, but like Californian food is so bad. It's just like health food across the board. And I was like, it's flavorless. It's like, please take me home. Like, I just can't do it like this. And, uh, I found Californian culture to be rather flat 
and I found it to be uh, tone deaf oftentimes. And like, they would just have these conversations about how like great they were. And like, I would just be like, you guys are just the worst. And, uh, uh, and I really, I mean, I loved the people and I loved the weather. I just felt like there was so much good in Alabama and so much good in Birmingham that was being drowned out by so much ignorance and that all my passion for like civil rights and all my passion for like gay rights and trans rights and like whatever was so much better spent in a city that had so much potential and not enough like I don't know like that needed more warriors and needed more people on the front line right and so I moved back home okay okay that's awesome uh, <laughs> warriors so you consider yourself a warrior <laughs> I did in college now I'm a little tired now I consider myself like your typical stereotypical millennial that's like in the background like you can do it gen z resources <laughs> not really <laughs> um are you currently working in technology i am i work for a company called quantalytics who are so good so awesome can't say enough good things i really love my job okay and what is your title in technology right now in the technology I a React developer. So I do front-end work and I I work in, with React. Was <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, um did it come easy for you to um code in React? Uh no, absolutely not. Um coding is so hard. It does not come easy. I freeze all the time. I'm like, oh that's my cat wanting to get out of my room. Hold on a second. Hey. Okay. Um, no, it was not easy. Uh, it was hard and it was difficult. And every time I come across something new, I freeze and I have to be like, you can do it. And, like talk myself through it, but it is rewarding and it is enjoyable um, in a way that things that come easier have not been. So I would choose it a hundred times over. Okay. Okay. Um, let me ask you this. Would you say boot camps is the best way to get into um, becoming a software developer? Would you say that? Or do you think you can learn on your own? Or how would you say it's the best way to go about it, you think? Um, I think it depends on your learning style. I think that, so, I mean, we all know the, the downfalls of like a college education, which is like, if you're not privileged enough to have somebody pay your way, like most of your way or all of your way, it's just crippling debt. <laughs> but that college degree is going to get you places that a boot camp and self-education just isn't going to get you. Mm -hmm. and if you are super motivated and super driven and you are incredibly capable of self-teaching, which are things that I am not, all the above are not things that I am. Um, I think software development is one of those skills that you really can teach yourself. And I think that there's so many resources out there because software developers are passionate about what they do and they want people to teach themselves. Um, and so I think that, you know, boot camps are great for people like me who maybe don't have that like 
self motivation, like maybe not self motivation because I definitely have the motivation, but like maybe don't have the like self discipline to teach themselves or um, that natural inclination towards computer science or coding. But I also think boot camps are they have something that both a degree and self-teaching don't have, which is the ability to give you just an amazing amount of connections in the local community. Mm -hmm. And that's what boot camps really excel at. And so um, if you are already a professional, you're already an adult, you're like in your mid to late 20s, I think, or older, I think that boot camp is absolutely the way to go. Okay, okay. I think I might concur with that, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think about automation? And does it scare you when people start talking about automation? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> I, I think about this a lot, actually. I just listened to a podcast on this recently. So I think automation is an inevitability and I don't think it does anybody any good to be fearful of it and to rail against it. I think ultimately it is a very good thing. Um, I also think the best thing we can do for automation is to change our conversation of, around automation away from it's taking jobs away from us towards it is supplying jobs to those who choose to learn how to work in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Andrew Yang talked about this in a beautiful way and in a much more knowledgeable and educated way than I can. I really appreciated how he framed the conversation and the way he really brought that whole thing, like whole idea to the forefront of like, like America's conversation around the future. I think that automation is something that's been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years, and now it just looks a little different than it did. And I think that the conversation around automation has been the same for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that we just have to start changing the conversation around it. It has to start looking like, um, you know, jobs around, it, it has to stop looking like this robot is taking my job and start looking like I need to get a job in fixing this robot. And that is a hard thing to do when you're afraid and a hard thing to do when you're 55, you've been working the same job for 30 years and you're turning around and seeing a 22 year old who's been playing with robots since they were five. Yeah. And you're thinking like, this 22 year old is so much more qualified than I am and like so much more capable. And like, I'm 55 years old. I've been told my whole life, I'm not even capable of learning this. Like I can't, I can't even work my iPhone, you know, like how am I supposed to learn this? And I think again, like we've come across a, like a bit of a societal failing, which is like automation is so good and automation is so wonderful. I mean, it's the mark of a thriving society, but the mark of a failing society is when we don't support our community and our our citizens and part of supporting our community and citizens is putting in programs like implementing programs that teach everybody including our senior citizens and including our you know 30 to 50 or 30 to 60 year olds how to acclimate to automation so that's I how I yeah i think a lot of people are just 
some people just don't like change also i think uh, me yeah me <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> right okay gotcha um all right so let's get into i overheard elon musk right talking about going to mars and i'm <laughs> like and he said um well i want to ask you do you think humans will be on um, in mars in our lifetime i just you know <laughs> i just have such a hard time believing that when people don't even wear masks and i just like <laughs> Like, why is that even a conversation right now when people aren't vaccinating their children? And I know that, like, that is probably, like, th those two things aren't really related, but they feel really related. Like, I it just, like, no. I, the short answer is no. I don't believe that at all. I, I don't, I, I don't see a, I don't, I just don't see us being in a time of scientific, renaissance right now if i'm being completely frank i see us being in a bit of a time of scientific dark age and i don't see us maybe we'll have somebody set foot on mars in the next 50 years but i don't see us like habitating mars in the next hundred really we don't i mean we can't even figure out how to safely humanely grow food on our own country our own world i guess let alone how to change the entire ecosystem of another planet <laughs> like okay okay um that was so pessimistic <laughs> <laughs> but i understand where you're coming from though. um let me, didn't you say your um, father was a pioneer in, what was it? Was it technology or doctor? N oh, both. Both. What? My dad is a neurosurgeon. Okay, that's what it was. And he uh, focuses on Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, and he created a type of robot, I guess. Really? Oh. That helps with, like, surgery like minimally invasive surgery to help people with tremors and that little robot is in the smithsonian shout out to barton guthrie uh so proud of him and he does not ever talk about it he is so 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 humble and uh everything i know about him and everything he's done i have found out because people who have met me have googled him and then told me and then i've had to google him because he like never talks about it and uh but yeah, so he is so into that world and so into like paraplegic like chips being implanted and and different types of surgeries and you know how do we help people move things like Elon Musk and you're saying like Neuralink and stuff like that and like what does all that look like and surgeries done by robotics and automating stuff like that and dad has a company that really pioneered um like vr stuff and he's just started working on that in the 90s i mean it, he's it's like really really cool he's like a cool guy and i nasa bought that from him and he's just like ugh, he's just cool okay so what are your thoughts on elon Musk since you brought him up i mean when it comes to Neuralink, um i think yeah. Elon Musk is really an interesting guy. <laughs> um, you know, for Neuralink is, he had this incredible idea 
realized it wasn't achievable, changed his idea, listened to the people who knew what they were talking about, didn't get... Time out, time out, time out. What was the idea that didn't work and he changed it? Like So originally his idea was to use human brains as computers, right? Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of neuroscientists came together and were like, we are nowhere close to that. <laughs> um, we do not have electrodes and, and, or, or anything else small enough to connect to the neurons of the human brain so that we are able to do that. They said, but you know what we can do with what you have and what you want is we can help paraplegics move and we can help people control uh, like mice on a screen, right? Mm. And Elon Musk heard that and said, let's do it. And I think that's huge. I think, you know, the fact that he didn't say, no, I want what I want when I want, you know, the fact that he was like able to hear like these experts say that and, and change his mind and really go for it and, and work on these like baby steps and work towards his bigger goal is such a big deal. I think that, you know, I mean, this goes back to that automation thing of like hearing like, oh, these machines are going to take over all our jobs and none of us are going to have anything. You know, we tend to hear like, oh, we're going to implant this chip into our brain and then people are going to be able to like literally like take over our brains and we're all going to become robots. Um, that is such a far-fetched idea. I mean, like we don't have anything close to that. That is going to be generations of work before we're able to implant something into our brain that is small enough to connect into our neurons. But right now we have the ability to work towards being able to control limbs with a computer. It's implanted onto multiple neurons, right? So like one electrode onto multiple neurons that are firing and allowing you to move your hand. Um, and I think, I mean, just the implications of that is huge. I mean, that reaches into things of like treating hard to treat depression or like treating hard to treat PTSD or, or, or anything like that. And I, I just, my dad talks about it a lot. And um, I think that that, the, anything that can come from that is just, I, I just, the, the, like, the, the, the sheer magnitude of that is so big. And he's been very hush-hush about it. He's not talked a lot about it. So everything we really know about it is like little tidbits here and there. And then um, tech blogs and conspiracy theorists just running with it. Uh, it's great to yeah. read. It's so fun to get into. But what we do know is that they've done pretty successful things with mice being able to move things. Um, and Elon Musk says they've used uh, a primate, but we don't know that for sure. Um, you think he lied about it? I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, if I were Elon Musk, who just named my kid something that's like not. Possible, I would want to look good somewhere, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. in August, and I'm definitely gonna get. I'm gonna definitely gonna keep an eye on it. I mean, I'm the first to say that I tend not to buy into the fear of like government control. I tend not to buy into conspiracy theories. I tend to be much more lax and relaxed about like, like, I don't know. I I, I just don't feel the same fear and hype around like. Bill Gates controlling us through a chip via vaccine. Like that doesn't resonate with me well. And so when I hear things like we're going to insert a chip into people's brains so that people can finally move limbs they haven't moved 
in their whole life or since a big accident in years. I'm thinking like, yes, not like, ah! you know, like my response to that is generally very positive. Um, I tend to have a lot of trust in things like the FDA. I tend to have a lot of trust in things like the CDC and checks and balances. Um, I know that there are people who disagree with me very strongly. <laughs> yeah, especially here in the South. <laughs> um, let me see. Oh, let me ask you this before I move on. Um, Sweden, right? You know, they have the chips. They're putting in, um, I think they're putting in their hands or here. I can't remember which one, but they're using it like for money, I think. Somebody yeah. told me. Have yeah. you heard about that? I have, yeah, and I actually like deep dove into that. Uh, I was really curious about it because I heard about it and I was like, somebody, so I heard about it uh, via a friend of a friend who says some outrageous things occasionally to me that I just like have to kind of like blink at him and just take a step back and not get angry at him and just like walk away. And so I heard it from him and my first inclination was to be like, oh, you're lying. And then I was like, but what if he's not? <laughs> <laughs> and so I like took a few hours actually I like fell like totally down an absolute reddit rabbit hole about this right just totally tech reddit rabbit hole it was so bad I like resurfaced and was like I gotta have a drink um and my well, the first thing I read about it uh was I will absolutely admit on a conspiracy blog um because I love a good conspiracy I, I very rarely believe them but that does not stop me from reading about them at 3 a.m um and it was basically saying like all of their information is held on this ship, everything from like their credit card to their like social security to like uh, like the medical history to like educational history, everything. I mean, everything you need to know is held on this chip. And I was like reading this and I was like, that's a big ass chip, right? Like that is a huge huge chip like think of like a usb and how big a usb is and how much you can put on a usb right right and think about how big that usb chip would have to be to hold all of the information of an entire human being like and i was like god that would hurt so bad <laughs> and like it would be so big and like what if it shifted like what if it moved what if it like moved from your wrist to like your elbow or like your armpit. Like every time you had to pay for something, you're like scanning your armpit or whatever. Cause like things in your body like move around a lot. Yeah. And I, and I kind of like did a lot of like research and, and they do have them. They do have these chips. They're very real. And uh, they carry basically your credit card information because they are so small. That is all they can carry. <laughs> gotcha. Um, how much memory um, can they hold? Do you know, is it terabytes or? <laughs> it's not, definitely not terabytes. I can't yeah. remember. Um, it may be terabytes, but I'm pretty, like, I'm like, I want to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying, like, it's definitely not terabytes. I, I think that, like, you know, a big problem with the layman having these conversations, myself included, is that, like, we don't have a really good grasp of, like, how big an object is that holds a terabyte, you know, which, of course, means, like, I'm going to, like, flip over to my other screen and be like, how big is a terabyte? Like, how big is it going to, like, how big <laughs> is a terabyte? There you go. Yeah, so to hold a terabyte, something to hold a terabyte is like large. You can like hold it in your hand. It's like, like an SD card, like it's holdable. 
Mm. Right. It's not like. So, so you, it can't fit on a chip? Like a little it's, not, it's not this. This is not going to hold a terabyte. Gotcha. <laughs> your Apple Watch can't hold a terabyte. It's too small. So it's not fitting in your wrist. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that that's like what, like, like, and I think the problem with these conversations is like, too often people are having these conversations that are not thinking about that. They're thinking about like, I don't want somebody to be able to like hack my social security information. And I'm like, all they have to do is hack into your doctor's office. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay. Um, is politics one of your loves? Like, do you love politics? <laughs> I love it so much. Conspiracy theories of politics and horses. Just love up there, you know? <laughs> All together. Um, yeah, I, I, I really do love politics. It, it was, when I was young, I thought that I was going to be a politician. I, yeah, I really did. Um, I have been in local government. I have held office. Oh, what type of office did you hold? <laughs> yeah, I was the youth. Oh my gosh, totally. I was like the youth ambassador for mental health. So I was like voted in and I like helped pass legislation um, for mental health for kids under 21. Hmm. And I was completely and totally ineffective. And it absolutely dissuaded me from ever being in politics again. I am... Um, far too angry and passionate. It turns out politics is so politicky. And if you're not willing to pay the, play the game and you just, it's not, I mean, it's just so much like, I really, what I learned about it when I was in it was that like, I am so much more of an advocate than I am a politician. Mm. I'm just not willing to play nice. When people say like, say things that are so obscene, I'm like, it's very difficult for me not to be like, that's just untrue. Like, <laughs> and I learned very quickly that like telling Governor KIV, hey, like that's not true is a, not a good thing to do. <laughs> she did not like that at all. <laughs> mm. And I just didn't play the game well and um, had a lot of really unpopular opinions, especially for the South. And no amount of research, no amount of like, hey, like I have the data to back it up, made a difference. They wanted what they wanted. And if you didn't give them what they wanted or support what they wanted, they had absolute ways of making sure that anything you were fighting for did not get passed or got like absolutely left silenced. And it was so frustrating and it was exhausting. Never again. Uh, you know, you're not the first person I heard say that though. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. Um, what do you think of AOC, by the way? Since we own politics. <laughs> I, she honestly, like, she may be my hero right now. Then we definitely have things that I disagree with. Like, every once in a while she'll say something and I'm like, that's probably factually true, but I still hate it. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like she just is unerringly honest and, and seems to be very true to herself. And I think that that is like so difficult to do as a, a woman of color and as a woman in general. And I just like have so much respect for her and her position to be able to do that. She's just so authentic. And I like can't, 
I know if I were in her position, I would not be able to do it. And I, like, honestly, like, AOC for president whenever she's old enough to run. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I, really, I love her. And I, I love that she was not afraid to say who she supported and who she didn't support and why. She, she doesn't seem to be afraid to alienate certain people for what she believes in. And even if I disagree with her occasionally, I respect her for that. Mm. And I hope, I hope she doesn't lose that. I hope she just sticks with that. I really, I, yeah, I just like, I really respect the crap out of her. I really, really do. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't expect all of that. <laughs> what did you expect? I don't know. I don't know. But moving on. <laughs> um, who did you like out of this past Democratic um, primary as far as presidential candidates? So I am... I'm a huge Bernie Sanders supporter, and I have been since before he was really, I, I mean, just because I was in politics, like, really young, like, even just before he really made a bid for president that was really large, I was like, man, I just really respect you for the same reasons I respect AOC, which is like, oh, sorry, which is that he's very consistent in what he believes in, and he's not afraid to say it, and even if there are things that I disagree with him on, I appreciate that he is, is he, he seems to be able to hear that he's wrong and change his opinion. He seems to be, he seems to be able to say like, I hear that you disagree with me and I'm still gonna stay in my spot. Even if you're offering me a lot of money, even if you're lobbying this, like I truly believe in this. And I, I just have so much respect for that. Um, I have a lot of respect that he doesn't seem to mudsling a whole lot. Um, I mean, he does a little bit as they all do, but I really like, I don't know. I think as a Jewish man, he really felt the plight of minorities in a way that a lot of white men don't. And the way that he translated that into his experience was to fight for minorities. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I think that... <clears throat> I wish that that is what people focused on more than anything else. And, you know, he was not afraid to say 30 years ago, we deserve to have universal health care and we deserve to have equal rights and we deserve, like gay people deserve equal rights and black people deserve to have equal rights. And, you know, our borders deserve to be open. I mean, he has been steadfast in these beliefs for so long and he has changed them and his, and they've been nuanced and he has, They've all been the same across the board, but the, the way he's wanted to implement them has changed as people have told them how they should. And as like people who uh, are affected by them have come forward and said, no, it would be better this way. He's been like, all right, you're right. Like, I don't live your life. You're telling me it should be this way. And I just, I think that's huge. And my, my second pick was obviously Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I think that she's another like, awesome example of somebody who listened to people and said, my beliefs were wrong and they can change. And I have so much respect for people who can say that. And when she decided that her beliefs were wrong and that everything she had heard growing up was incorrect because data told her that, she passionately fought for what she believed was right. Yeah. And I, I just, I love that about her. And, and I think that, you know, nevertheless, like she persisted and like 
I think people don't understand the courage it takes for a woman to stand up in front of that many men and just say like, you're wrong and I am right. And I know I am right, even though you're telling me I'm wrong. And, and to just sit in that power and say that over and over again, because women are told our whole lives that we're not allowed to say that. And she just says it and I love it. And <laughs> I sadly, she would have been my first pick 10 years or 20 years from now. Um, I just don't believe that the United States is ready for a woman president. Really? I, yep. I, I don't. And I think if she had won the primary, she would have lost to Donald Trump. Um, based solely on the fact that she's a woman, which breaks my heart because I think that she would be a just killer nuclear president. I think she would be so good. I just think she uh, she would just be so good. <laughs> so good. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that I lost a, just a ton of respect for her with the way she handled everything with Bernie Sanders and some respect for Bernie Sanders with the way he handled everything with Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think that they should have come together into one amazing viable option and they chose not to and they did a disservice to the United States by doing that because now we're stuck with the exact same problem we've been stuck with for the last 200 years. <laughs> Yeah, not not a lot of change. <laughs> um, all right. So, how do you feel about free college for huge, all? Huge fan, God, I just I love it so much. Um, I think that education is like, like it blows my mind. Blows my mind that people can look around and be like, "How did we get here?" Because we're uneducated. And we're uneducated because someone, somewhere, at some time, I can tell you who, <laughs> we really want to go down that path, looked around and said, I want education to be for the elite. And the way we're going to do it is to make it outrageously expensive. And then we're going to shame people for not getting educated. And then we're going to tell them, if you don't get educated and go into deep, steep debt, it's your fault. And then if you complain about the debt once you're in there, we're going to tell you you're not working hard enough. And it's a vicious cycle. I education should be free. It's ludicrous that it's not. I, the only, the people who suffer for educate, education being so expensive is everybody. And the people who gain for education being accessible is everyone. And if you want private universities to stay private, sure, that's fine. Subsidize them, you know, uh, have, have programs so that, you know, kids are able to get scholarships to Yale or Harvard or whatever. But there is no reason at all that community college or UAB even should be out of reach for anybody. And it is for so many people, which is just obscene. Like, but any, I have like, I have so many feelings about public education anyway. Like it is obscene that Mountain Brook is so, Mountain Brook is a private high school and it's a public school. And it shouldn't be. There's no reason at all Mountain Brook should get more funding because of taxes than inner city Birmingham schools. And there is a reason that they do. And that reason starts with an R. But we're not ready to talk about that yet. <laughs> and it makes me so angry. I mean, it's just like, I it just, yeah, no. I, like, university, college should be free. And then if you want to pay for your private education, fine, whatever. Keep the private schools set a cap on how much they're allowed to charge 
make scholarships more available, but sure, have people be able to pay them so that they can get an elite education at a school that's going to teach them the exact same thing UAB is going to teach. Yeah. Whatever. They want to feel good about themselves, whatever. Um, I think I heard you say that you kind of think you know who started it, who started this all. Who do you think it is? Like, if I, I mean, I, if you want to say it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think that, uh, <laughs> like, 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 or maybe they don't, maybe I just have an insulated friend group, but I mean, I just think, you know, in the, when the public school became a thing, mm -hmm. there was a lot of pushback about who was allowed access to public school. And that pushback was white boys are allowed access to public school. And that was public school went up to like, I don't know, like, I think, I think like ninth grade ish. And then everybody was like, no, like high school, do high school. And everybody was like, mm, okay. Um, and then they were like, well, women should go to school too. And everybody was like, okay, but only white women. And then of course, uh, children who weren't white, <laughs> all of a sudden were like, hey, like we matter too. And everybody was like, I guess. And then I think, as we all know, white men were like, okay, fine. If they get to have free education, the one thing they can have is free upper education. White people only, and since we can't do it legally, what we're gonna do is make it very expensive. And I think that that's incredibly well documented and the conversations are there. And I don't know, that's how we talk about it in sociology. That is not a secret. It's something that's like very well known and talked about. Yeah. And I think like it's talked about now too, you know, and it should be talked about now. Like, it's not like the kids in Mountain Brook are particularly affected by UAB being so expensive that's not who's suffering. It's the kids in Birmingham who are suffering by that. And like the reason that's not changing is because the kids in Birmingham don't look like the kids in Mountain Brook. And that's a problem. And that needs to change. And it's not going to change by people, by the kids in Birmingham saying like, hey, I want an education. It's going to change by the people in Mountain Brook saying, hey, those kids deserve an education. Change it. And until those people in Mountain Brook decides that their privilege is worth being used to help people who aren't getting the same things they are, it's just going to stay in the same status quo. And this, I like, I, I passionately feel that way. And I spent a good amount of my 20s trying to enact change in that and realizing that the, the issue is just so deep and it's so systemic and it starts with kindergarten and it ends with $30,000 a year secondary education. Do you think the government will ever change how, does, how is everything is all set up? <sighs> or at least in our lifetime? Like. <laughs> so the like, the like pessimist in me is like, sure, because there will be a pretty violent revolt soon. Not in the sense that like, people are going to die, but in the sense of like these protests and these riots, heavy quotes, aren't going to stop. They're just going to get worse because as the status, like, so people talk about the status quo a lot, but the status quo is shifting a lot, right? And it's shifting badly. So like the middle class is disappearing, people are getting poorer, and the rich are getting much, 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 so much richer. And as that happens, 
people get angrier. And when people get angrier and people get poorer, they just don't have anything left to lose. And so these riots, again in quotes, you know, what does it matter if you're going to jail? You don't have a job. You're in the middle of a pandemic. You have nothing left to lose. And yeah. so the, the optimist in me is like, yeah, like this is going to continue until change happens um, because this is how governments change. Governments rarely change when people are like protesting quietly in the street. I mean, we can look to France. We can look to the European cities. I mean, France is like, they're the absolute best at protesting. And when they protest, they just rip their city apart for a few days and their city is like, fine, whatever you want, take it. Um, and I think, but the, but the pessimist in me is like, Americans as a whole are very self-oriented and very consumerist, like consumerism oriented. And in general, as we saw with these past protests and riots, we tend to get very riled up and then big corporations say things like, Black Lives Matter or yay go gay or you know whatever and we're like see things are happening um the confederate monuments came down and then the energy dies and that you know something has to happen for that energy not to die and so like the pessimist in me is like no nothing is going to change because we're so easily distracted but i think if we continue to vote on a local level and we continue to keep that energy up and we continue saying like, this is unacceptable, this is unacceptable, this is unacceptable, you know, like college education should be free for everybody. And that's the only way to level the playing field or to begin to level the playing field. Healthcare should be free for everybody because that's the only way to begin to level the playing field. You know, like universal basic income is necessary so that children can eat. <laughs> like, like this is not so that people can get their nails done. It's so children can eat. Financial literacy classes should be implemented for every high school student so that when they leave high school, they understand what it means to save. You know, banks should not be allowed to charge overdraft fees on anything for that's medical, that's grocery related, that's like necessity related. You know, there shouldn't be taxes on groceries. You know, when we start voting locally for people who believe in these things, maybe we will see change, but we can't see change if people aren't educated. And it's hard to educate people when they're hungry. It's hard to educate people when kids are dying at the hands of a militaristic police force. And I don't think it's any, I mean, I think it's very naive to assume that our government is, a, is unaware of that. Agreed, so, agreed, agreed. <laughs> um, me, it's like, it would take people getting so angry that we literally like defund the police for anything to change. Like something has to give, some piece of the systemic, of the system has to give for the systemic issues to change enough for us to see these beautiful things come to pass in our lifetime. But I believe it can happen, especially with Gen Z. Gen Z, man, they are, they are powerful. You think so? I do. I think <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you think rich people should be taxed more? The tax yes. rates should be, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. I grew up in the 1% solidly. And my friends oftentimes didn't. 
and I was very aware of the injustice of my lifestyle versus theirs. There was no reason at all. I mean, like, it's obscene how some people have multiple houses and like lake houses and boats and shit and like other people have like nothing. And there is no such thing as I worked for it. Like, no, you didn't. You're not working any harder than the person who's waking up at 5 a.m. and going to a factory job making minimum wage. You just aren't. You're working just as hard. And, uh, and it's sometimes not as hard. You're just profiting off of these people who are working as hard, who are doing so much more damage to their bodies, who are not receiving the same health care, who are not receiving the same mental health care, who are dying earlier. I could go on. Anyway, I think that there really should be a wealth tax and there really should probably be a wealth cap Bezos is a criminal and and <laughs> I mean can you I mean Kylie Jenner will never spend the amount of money she has she just won't who is gonna spend that money her great-grandchildren like you know and, and this is coming from somebody who stands to probably inherit money I won't my dad is getting it away he has told me that thank you dad um but I benefited from a system that that really has, you know, really benefited my father for being a wealthy man as a neurosurgeon and as a business maker and as an entrepreneur. And let me tell you, I would way rather have had less privilege in life and seen the people around me who have less than me have more than have had all the privileges I had and my friends go hungry. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, if everybody had had the experience of being around people that weren't like them and weren't in the same social class as them, they would feel the same. Okay. Um, don't you, do you think that um, exploitation, right, is that a part of capitalism? Like, is that how capitalism oh, works? I think it's a part of capitalism. I think that is the only part of capitalism. I think capitalism is built off exploitation. The mode of destruction is so real. It is the only, capitalism is the only is the only system that demands that excess be created to drive people into destitution. Mm. That is an accepted tenet of capitalism. The man who created capitalism spoke on it. It is excess, excess to, for capitalism to be effective. Peop, there have to be people who are ultra wealthy and people who are ultra poor. We do not talk about that when we are in school because we like to pretend like we are actually capitalistic in this country. We are not. We do not have a capitalistic economy. We don't have a free market economy. We have a social capitalistic economy. And we should be more socialistic if we really want to have a working economy. The best economists talk about it. Oh, I just have so much I could talk about with capitalism. Capitalism, <laughs> the number one driving force of addiction. It's a number one driving force of suicide. It's a driving force of, like of imprisonment is a driving force of families being broken apart it is you capitalism only works when someone is being exploited you cannot have excess without somebody being exploited and that's the bottom line and we shouldn't have excess what's the point great question (laughs) um all right so biden is basically the democrats candidate Uh 
how do you feel about Biden? Do you plan to vote for? <laughs> I just. Uh, I know, I know. I have a lot of respect for what he did for the Violence Against Women Act. Um, he was a spearhead for that. And I, I just like, thank you so much for that, Biden. Like, what a wonderful thing. And like, oh my God, like, how incredible. Um, I think he, was her name Anita Brown? Is that right? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I, I think I'm actually, I think I am doing a, a huge disservice by confusing these two women, but he did such a disservice to that woman who came forward and said that somebody had assaulted her and he just ripped her to shreds and he needs to apologize to her and hasn't. And I think that we should hold him to the standards that we held Kavanaugh for doing that. Um, and we don't because we are hypocrites. I think that he has some issues with Vincent, all apparently, all uh, political, high, poli high in politics white men have. Um, I think that is a systemic problem that we need to start holding people accountable for. I don't know that I believe that he is a rapist, but I think he could have handled that situation better, and I wish he had. Um, I think that he shouldn't have run for president. I think it was a hubris thing at that point. Um, I think he knows that. I think that he took the presidency from somebody who would done who would, would have done a better job. I think that the DNC is a scam who is trying to put in just one more moderate who's going to keep the status quo, and that's not what we need right now. Um, polls are showing that he's going to beat Trump, but I don't think it's because he is the person who would have beat Trump. I think it's because Trump has botched this pandemic so bad. <laughs> I think Trump is beating Trump, frankly. Um, I, I like Biden for what he was as a vice president and for who he was as a senator for the most part. But I think he has a lot of glaring issues and I think that his health is probably one of the bigger ones. And I think that the way that he had dealt with his sexual assault allegation is even a bigger one. And I think that he is a, I mean, I think he's a Republican in the greater scheme of global politics that we see as a moderate Democrat because our politics lean so far right in the United States. Mm -hmm. And because of that, his politics don't align with mine. Gotcha. Um, so even, I only think, I think even if we vote, it don't really matter. Cause I think the Democrats will probably take this if everything stays the same, you know, currently. Mm -hmm. So I don't really think it matters that much really right now, but um, I think that's all I have for you today. And wow. Thanks for coming to the outlet. Thank you for uh, ramble. <laughs> you're so welcome. Um, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Um, yeah. Well, thank you and good day. <laughs> have a good one. Have a good one. Bye-bye.